This is episode 312 with the amazing one-two punch of Zoe Rom, editor-in-chief of Trail Runner magazine, and Tina Muir, former British pro runner. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the goal of this show, strengthrunning.com, and our YouTube channel is to help you better understand the process of improvement. Because when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. If you're new here, welcome. I'm the head coach of Strength Running, formerly a 239 marathoner, and a monthly columnist for Trail Runner Magazine. On this podcast, I share my insights on the sport and speak with the world's smartest subject matter experts to help you improve. I'm happy to connect anytime, so feel free to email me or you can send me a message on Instagram or YouTube. Now I want to thank our partners who support the show. They're offering you some great discounts, which I hope you'll take advantage of. And both of these companies offer products that I use on a near daily basis. First is Prevenex, the only supplement company I trust because they are voluntarily putting themselves under more scrutiny and holding themselves to higher standards. You can create some health for yourself at Prevenex.com with code JASON15 for 15% off. You're going to love their Joint Health Plus product because it actually works. It reduces joint pain and improves how you feel with clinical double-blinded studies to prove it. Stay tuned until after the show, and I'll share some amazing testimonials from other listeners. Try it now at Prevenex.com and use code JASON15 for 15% off your purchase. Our next partner is the Mobo Board. Go to MoboBoard.com and use code STRENGTHRUN10 to save 10% on your board. Invented by renowned physical therapist Jay DeSherry, Mobo helps you stabilize your stance with an innovative rocker board. I challenge you to perform some basic movements on the Mobo in a single leg stance. It will expose your weaknesses and teach you exactly what you need to work on. Get all the benefits of coordination, strength, and injury resilience with a Mobo board at MoboBoard.com. And don't forget code STRENGTHRUN10. It'll save you 10%. Okay, today's show features two guests, elite ultra runner and editor-in-chief of Trail Runner magazine, Zoe Rom. You can hear more from Zoe in episode 181 of the podcast. We're also joined by Tina Muir, formerly a British pro runner and now the host of the Running For Real podcast. Tina and I answered listener Q&A in episode 107. In this episode, we're focusing on the themes of their new book, Becoming a Sustainable Runner, which is now available wherever you buy books. So I hope you grab a copy for yourself. We're going into detail on sustainable running for decades, the longevity aspect of our sport, as well as the other crucial aspect to staying in the sport of running, your community. These are such important topics for runners, so important, in fact, that my monthly column for Trail Runner Magazine, which is often edited by Zoe, is all about longevity in the sport. You can find that on trailrunnermag.com. And if you want more running community in your life, join ours at strengthrunning.com slash join. Now, without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Zoe Rom and Tina Muir. Zoe, Tina, so good to be hanging out again. Yeah, thanks. Glad to be back. So I've had both of you on the podcast before, uh, but never had both of you on at the same time. So I think this is going to be really fun. This is going to be like 
the Avengers having all of you assembled here. <laughs> so uh, I'm really excited. Uh, and I'm glad that we got this opportunity to chat because you both have written a very unique book about running that goes beyond what typical running books are typically about. Um, Zoe, maybe we can start with you. Can you maybe summarize just the main thesis of the book? What would you say is the overarching goal of the book that you've written? Yeah, I would say the overarching goal is to encourage folks to integrate both their own approach to running long term, their approach to connecting with their community long term, and their approach to caring for their planet long term, and seeing how all of those things interrelate, interconnect and necessitate each other. Tina, do you want to add to that? I mean, I am just in awe of how succinct she can be when I, as people know from my episodes with you in the past, I am not that at all and long and rambly and I just am in constant awe of how Zoe can do that. Um, What would I add? Well, here's 15 bullet points. Um, (laughs) I would just say that I think when many people think of the word sustainable, what comes to mind for many is, please don't talk to me about like being a vegan and not flying. And while, yes, the planetary side of it is an important piece of this, a big part of it is actually like redefining your relationship to running and what it means to you, what your body means to you, and just having a long-term approach that, yes, can include running, racing, having goals, but also hopefully opens uh, the readers, the listeners' eyes up to so much more that there is to offer about running that we often forget about. And that involves community pieces, but it also involves your own everyday runs, even if you do your runs over the same loop every single day. So hopefully it expands their horizons to what running means to them. I love it. And, you know, I Tina, I know that you yourself have been very much involved and passionate about uh, environmental activism and doing what we can to uh, reduce our impact on the environment and our carbon footprint and things like that. Uh, And Zoe, you as well. I mean, our podcast episode, uh, I think about two years ago, was all about environmental justice. And I really think these topics are super interesting. And, you know, a little fun fact about me is before I started essentially doing running things for my career, I was involved in uh, various environmental uh, companies and, you know, doing carbon offset stuff and working with Department of Energy and the EPA on some of their big efficiency projects. So I love this stuff. I think it's super important. Um, Where did this idea for the book actually come from? Because you guys have been doing you know, in in different forms, this type of work for a while. Where did the genesis of the book really begin? Hmm, I can definitely take that one in that I had been thinking with my past as an elite runner, kind of recognizing that I couldn't carry on with my sport in the way that I was going about it as an elite athlete, just burned out, my body wasn't functioning correctly. I know we've covered this on the podcast. And uh, I just knew that there were so many things that I could now see having come out the other side of that. Uh, that I was missing out on before because my eyes were glued to the cement in front of me or asphalt in front of me. I was missing out on a lot and I was realizing it as I was in this next part of my running journey. And so I wanted to write about that. I'd also always had a passion in, in sustainability about environmentalism and was kind of getting frustrated with people for not feeling the same way, but then also realizing that really, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And if people don't know um, any of these things, then how are they expected to kind of view the world the same as I did? Um, and so I, I 
you know, spoke to um, a friend who uh, had written a book with our publisher and uh, she connected us. This idea was immediately, you know, uh, they were like, yes, absolutely. This is a great idea. Um, but I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I knew that I wanted someone who could bring something really special to it and really make it come alive. And uh, Zoe was my immediate thought when it came to that. So um, one afternoon, I walked out into my backyard and I called her up. We'd only met a few months before um, and we shared the the full story of um, we met because of our love of composting she had uh tweeted about composting and I was like oh that's my girl like I, I love her she <laughs> she shares about composting too and uh we'd met a few months before we hadn't met in person but we talked and uh I just so I worked up the courage to ask her and she was like yes and uh kind of went from there so that's my version of this but uh you can ask Zoe if she's got any uh, uh is, oh my god, I'm blanking on the word. Is it amendments? Amendment? Amendments, right? Yeah. Amendments <laughs> to the story. Yeah, Zoe, what's what's your version of that? <laughs> uh, all truth, the Twitter compost meet cute, definitely the cutest origin story for an adult friendship I'm aware of. Um, but like going even further back, my background was in environmental journalism and I think that sometimes for folks, they might see it as counterintuitive that I got into sports journalism, but um, I'm originally from rural northern Arkansas, and so sport was a big part of like my community and my culture growing up. It's a really potent way to connect with people and to find out or like to um, really speak to what matters to them, and I think that that's a really, really amazing way to like bring folks who haven't always seen themselves in the environmental movement to bring them in and invite them to challenge themselves in the work that we're doing. Um, because there's, you know, there's a lot of folks doing really great work, but it's not really getting outside of their echo chambers. And it's not speaking to um, folks who are absolutely necessary and essential to the work that we need to do here. So I've always been really passionate about using my love for climate and sport and outdoor movement to bring folks into this really challenging work and to do so in a way that really speaks to and dignifies their concerns about the world around us. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's really interesting that you guys have both taken a, a very similar track to this topic, um, but sort of have come at it separately, um, but eventually have have met and have collaborated on, on this really unique book. Um, now, you've broken the book into three sections about sustainably running, having a sustainable running community, and then having a planet that can sustainably support our running. You know, we obviously can't cover everything today. Uh, I definitely encourage folks to check out the book, but I want to focus right now on being a sustainable runner. Uh, you know, this is something that is very personally interesting to me. You know, one of the focuses of, you know, the the monthly column that I write for Trail Runner Magazine that Zoe, you help edit from time to time, um, is longevity, which is like how to run sustainably for a very long time in my mind, you know? I love running. I want to keep running for decades and decades. And, and, and I think thinking about that topic is really interesting to me because running can be a very hard sport. Um, you know, so, so I view this as, as very similar, uh, Zoe, can you maybe define what is meant by, um, you know, being a sustainable runner? Yeah, I think it's about, slightly outpacing what you're doing now with like kind of laying the groundwork for your potential later. So you're always setting yourself up for long-term success. I think everyone on this uh, podcast knows that the key to really getting somewhere and to achieving your potential as a runner 
is to sustain the work. Like your potential isn't reached in a single race, even a single season, even in five years. Your potential is reached by setting yourself up for success in the long term so that you can continue stacking bricks, so that you continue to show up day, day after day after day after day. Not only is that the most essential way to reach your potential, but it's also the most fun. It's the most healthy and balanced. And that was something that we really as kind of type A gals who tend to want everything all at once now um, to kind of extend the horizon of our own careers and our own imaginations and invite and challenge readers to maybe assess where they're getting tripped up and where they might be um, undermining their own potential with short-term thinking and short-term doing. I think this is a really important topic because, you know, I, I put on my coach's hat now and I unfortunately see this more frequently than I don't. Runners who are prioritizing the next race that they have eight to 12 weeks from now, as opposed to where they'd like to be one to two years from now. And often when you focus on the short term, you're kneecapping your long-term development or potential. And so I think it's really important to, um, you know, Always, you know, always be working for whatever short-term goal that you have. But, you know, I, I think the way you define that, Zoe, was really, uh, really persuasive, which was, you know, let's always, I forget exactly what you said right when you began that that answer, but it was like, let's let's do a little bit more for future us than we are doing for present us. And, and I think it's very similar almost to you know, you, you have a job and you save money every month, you invest it, you sort of are thinking about your long-term future so that at some point in the future, you know, you're, you've set yourself up for success. Um, Tina, when you think about this topic, you know, with your background as an elite athlete, how did you balance those two? Because on the one hand, you have incentives to perform today. And then of course, if you want to be a pro runner, and have any kind of longevity in that kind of career, you can't just focus on the short term. You've got to focus on the long-term health and sustainability of your running. How do, how did you balance those two? I think I didn't. <laughs> I think I was <laughs> absolutely go. doing the uh, the short-term approach. I mean, I always had the, for me, my goal, my goal was always run for Great Britain. That was always my carrot. But I did, I would say that was kind of a like, it'll get done when it gets done but I'm going to get a focus on the now. Um, and that for me is when I knew something was very wrong when I was in January um, of 2017. And I was thinking, I can't wait to cross the finish line uh, of what race I was going to be doing, the Gold Coast Marathon in July. And thinking, I'm not even looking forward to the race. I'm literally looking forward to the finish line six months from now. Um, and so that's when I knew something was very wrong with my attitude and mindset. And so I actually think your audience is perfect to hear to, for this book, for this message. And that is because um, one of the things that we have taken with this sustainability approach and what this book is all about is that you can have um, goals and races. And like you said, focus on these long-term things. Um, but if you are stuck on this short-term perspective, if you are stuck on like, okay, I want a BQ, I'm going to go to CIM, I'm going to get my BQ, Oh, failed. Okay, what's the next race I can go? I'm going to get my CIM at 
uh, I don't know, Berlin, um, whatever another fast course is, uh, failed. Okay, all right, Chicago. I'll get it at Chicago. And you're just doing like rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. You're never, A, you're never going to get there because you're way too focused on it and you've lost all uh, kind of all reality from what running is to you. It becomes just about goal checkbox. But also you're missing out on so much else about running um so many of the other beautiful things about running and that is where I totally lost track of that when I was running as an elite um but now I find that even though I'm not obsessing over results obsessing over finish lines obsessing over those short-term goals my performance isn't actually that much lower even though I'm doing drastically less way less focus um And uh, I think that is just because like we talked about a balance, but it's more of just like recognizing that you as a whole are are not just um, not just your running, not just your training, but you're also taking into account all the other factors of your life. Whereas if you're just focusing on these goals, you're like, I don't care if I'm going through a divorce and I'm uh, doing this or I don't care if I just lost my parent. I'm going to I said I was going to run this goal and I'm going to run this goal um, when in fact all these like life changes and things that are going on are impacting you. And Jason, you know, I know you've talked about this with John Levitt, like I'm sure during that period of time for you, it was tough to get your training in or tough to focus on something. So I hope we at least tried to show people that there's so much more to um, your long term than just that setting goal, achieving goal. Yeah. And I can speak to that a little bit. I mean, at the beginning of my separation last year, there, there was no training. I couldn't train. I mean, I, I would try to go out for a 30 minute jog and I would have to go sit on the side of the road because I was crying. I mean, there was really no ability for me to physiologically handle this stress of any level of training. And I think if I had pushed the envelope and attempted that, I would have succumbed to overtraining or I would have gotten some kind of serious injury or I would have just had really bad results uh, while at the same time, probably not having a lot of fun with the training as well. So, you know, I, I think the older I get, the more um, the more I, I want to be flexible with my training, the more I take into consideration other aspects of my life, because if you don't, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. And, and I think, you know, going back to this longevity piece, um, if I do want to maintain my running habit for decades and decades, you know, I'm turning 40 this year, um, a little, little bit of a milestone. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, thoughts that run through your head about, you know, your mortality and, and how you're slowing down with age and all these things. Um, and I think anybody listening here wants to continue running no matter what age they might be. Um, you know, maybe Zoe, we can talk a little bit more about if, if we are trying to make running a sustainable habit for the long term, what are some actual strategies for, for doing so? And, and I know a lot of runners are not going to, you know, accept the just have your volume and, you know, don't really set too aggressive goals because that's part of the fun of running, right? We, we love to push the envelope. We love to challenge ourselves. So how can we do that and prioritize our longevity? Absolutely. I think that's a really fantastic question. And I think that 
um, just to speak to your experience, being able to take that step back and acknowledge the realities that we're working through requires so much courage and so much self-awareness. I think for a lot of us, white knuckling it doesn't actually feel very brave, doesn't actually feel very hard or even courageous. So I think for a lot of folks, their their kind of growth edge is leaning into that doing less so that they can continue to progress. I have found that to make running kind of that sustainable habit, that sustainable sort of expression of our identity, figuring out how it fits into and attaches to our values is a really integral way to flexibly sustain it long term. Um, A couple of my values are community, excellence, um, and environmental stewardship. So even on the days where I'm not feeling it or where maybe I'm feeling it a little too much and it becomes kind of an unhealthy attachment, I go back to thinking about how does what I do today um, fit in with what I what my values are? How does what I do today um, set me up to pursue excellence? How does it set me up to pursue my environmental values? Like how are my values expressed in this discrete action that I'm taking today? Sometimes that means I'm going to do my workout when it's snowing and it's, you know, like five degrees outside. Sometimes it means I'm doing that workout on the treadmill because that's how I pursue excellence in that day. Sometimes it means I'm taking a rest day because I have a niggle that I don't want to turn into a larger issue. And I know that in order to pursue excellence, I need to just take um, a step back. Sometimes it means I choose certain races over others so that it can more, um, more, more succinctly attach to my value of environmental stewardship or my value of community. And I think that when you identify what your values are, it makes fit like figuring out what that habit looks like for you sustainable long term a lot easier. And I think that there is no like one size fits all solution. But the most, I think, approachable and like evidence based sort of way of going about this is to just figure out what your values are, and then figure out what that look what that hat what that expression of that looks like on a daily basis. Can you give us some like concrete examples so we can really, you know, see this in context? Um, you know, like may- maybe use yourself a- as an example. Like what are some of your values uh, that are specific to running and uh, give us uh, one or two examples of, of how you prioritized either longevity or or sustain reaching for sustainable excellence in the long term as opposed to those short term goals that we might have? Yeah, I think, you know, again, uh, a couple of my values were um, uh, excellence, environmental stewardship, community. I also really highly value fun. Um, And so finding, like, I'm just thinking about how I constructed my race schedule. I long-term would like to compete at a higher level. So I need to kind of reverse engineer um, some controlled opportunities to uh, race at more competitive events. So I'm racing Run Rabbit in the fall and I'm racing Never Summer 100K this weekend to kind of like gear up for that. And one of the reasons I picked Never Summer is because it sounded really fun. It's local and I can camp at the start and finish line. So it kind of speaks to that environmental value. Um, it's kind of known as being a really high quality grassroots event. So it speaks to that kind of community value for me. And it has like a pretty solid like lineup of, of competitive women. So it kind of speaks to that pursuit of excellence for me. And it helps plug me into that longer term pursuit of excellence, which like racing at Run Rabbit this fall is one step on the way. Longer term, I would like to go back to Western states. And I feel like that's kind of that goal specifically isn't like the thing I feel the most attached to. I feel like that goal is a really great sort of like shorthand for chasing my value of excellence in the trail running world. And so kind of um, 
you know, for me today, excellence looks like I'm taking a full rest day. I'm racing next weekend. I need to feel really, really rest. I need to feel really good. I need to get my glycogen stores rocking and ready to go. So excellence for me today means a nap and a baked potato. <laughs> <laughs> what is on that baked potato? I got a nap. Um, I really like cilantro and sour cream. What a weird combination, Zoe. I know. I, know. So <laughs> I don't think that's very weird. I think that's Isn't pretty it? standard, right? Isn't that what? pretty much no. on every loaded baked potato that you no, can purchase out there? No, baked potatoes are for baked beans, clearly. That is the oh, only that is purpose excessively of British, Tina. <laughs> yeah, your, your British is showing, Tina. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to go off track there. I just had to know. <laughs> if you were to answer the same question, you know, just sort of balancing the 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 need for going after goals and the need for being aggressive with training. Cause I know runners love that. You know, we, we love to push the envelope. How, how can we do that in a sustainable way while speaking to, you know, this, this idea that we want to run for a very long time? Like what are, what are some actual strategies? You know, I, I know that you maybe struggled with this when you were a pro runner. Now that you have the gift of hindsight, if you could look back and maybe wet, wet, wave your magic wand, how would you maybe change how you did things so that you might be in a slightly different position today, just in terms of, you know, your, your longevity in the sport or, or, or things like that? Yeah. I mean, in some ways I am getting a bit of a second chance here. I, I have signed up for a goal, goal race, um, at the end of October to which Zoe is, is pacing me the last 20 miles, which is, uh, you know, a really cool interaction we're going to have. Um, but I, so I'm going into this with a goal race and with an intention to take 12 to 14 weeks to actually commit. I'm not going to be able to commit the nine and a half out of 10 I did in my past, but I can commit a seven. Um, and so I'm giving my best that I have the opportunity to with my life situation right now. And so I can look back on my past. I can also like look at what I'm doing right now. And I think it would be the same advice, the same thing. So um, for me, as Zoe mentioned, environmental stewardship um, is kind of a similar thing. I just say like connecting with nature. So for me, that's always been something I felt uh, very powerfully. And so um, a simple little thing that, uh, you know, for me, as someone who loves to be outside, I love to do during my long runs is to touch trees as I go by. Just go by, put my hand on them, slow down a little bit, say, hi, beautiful, or like, just, just feel it under my hand. And that's something that reminds me that like, I am connected to nature, that I am out here in a beautiful place, that these trees, especially the big ones, uh, how, what have they seen during their lifetime? Um, and so that, that I find is a grounding thing to connect me and also to make it, you know, a lifelong thing of thinking, then I start to think about the tree and what the tree has been through. Um, another thing that, uh, same as Zoe mentioned, um, for me is, is fun. And I'm really kind of trying to pursue that, that even though I'm training for a 100 K, um, I jumped in a one mile race, um, after my, uh, less than a month after my last ultra, cause it sounded fun. Uh, I'm going to do a track 5k, even though I'm probably going to run minutes off my personal best. I, I'm, I, I'm just going to do it cause it sounds fun. Um, and so finding ways to keep it interesting, keep it enjoyable and, and lean into those other parts of me as a human being that, um, that interest me. So maybe I know Brittany Charbonneau is always one of the examples I use as someone she is, and she's, I think funny runner 26.2 or something on Instagram. Um, she does like themed weeks where she might dress up as like circus animals for a week, or she might, um, 
you know, she did these the Disney World, uh, the Dopey Challenge, doing those four races where she dressed up as Disney characters and she embodied those characters. That is a beautiful example of a way to um, think about the long term approach, but also to have fun with it, also to make it uh, about so much more than the running and yet still be able to run fast. I think she ran a 246 in her final race, the marathon, after doing a half 10K and 5K in the days preceding. Um, so those are two examples that kind of come to mind for me. I, I think when I look back on myself, it just would have been, yeah, recognizing that there's so much more to me as a person than just running fast. Um, and I can still run fast, even if I am taking time sl to slow down as I go past a tree, or even if I'm running with a friend who runs slower than me, that's not going to kill me or not going to slow me down if on my recovery run, I run a few minutes slower than I normally would. So finding ways to you know, just keep it interesting, I suppose. Tina, would you say that part of this strategy is to simply have less anxiety around your training? Because it seems like a big part of this is just you not worrying about every tiny detail of your training. You know, maybe one day you run with a slow friend. Maybe another day you go on a trail long run instead of a road long run, even though you're training for a road marathon, say, for example. Is it fair to say that Maybe runners overly focus on all the tiny details of training. And maybe if we were to step back a little bit, have a little bit more fun, focus on our community and our long-term uh, position in the sport, we would probably have the same results, but we may have a lot less anxiety and a lot more fun doing it. For sure. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know for me. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess it is anxiety. I, I saw it as just like a a control. Um, that was more what it was for me of like trying to like control everything I could possibly control. Um, and I've let go of that control now. I used to think when I'd finished a race, like, oh no, everyone's going to look at my time and they're going to see how slow I ran. And when no one was really concerned and if they were concerned enough to look up my time, they're either a friend who cares and they just want to send love or they're a troll who I can't please no matter what I do. Um, and that, so yeah, now it is letting go of that. Um, and you are absolutely right that I think there's so much to be gained, um, especially with those easy runs. So actually I have a good example. A few weeks ago, I was in Chicago and I was going to do a workout and I did do a workout, but I decided in my warm up I was going to jump in the lake. And so I did my workout, I finished, and then I jumped straight in the lake and that made it fun. It was still a workout day. I still got in what I needed to do but I made it a bit silly. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, it's just things like that, just finding ways to, to keep it up, keep it light. And a lot of that does involve community. Maybe that's, um, yeah, going to a group run and chatting to some slower runners who are just like in awe of you, because even if your nine minute pace might feel slow, um, to them as 11, 12, 13 minute runners, they might feel just so excited that you're there and you get to hear a cool new perspective on running, even if on that day you're running 11, 12 minute pace. I mean, that's not going to affect your race day. <laughs> it's probably actually going to leave you better set up for your next workout. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. Zoe, can I ask you a similar question? You know, I, I know you're our, our more of an ultra marathoner in our midst right now. So there's typically a little bit less of this type A, more anxiety driven, you know, training exactness that goes on. 
in, in ultra running just because of the nature of the sport. Um, is that something that you find that you struggle with or, or are you maybe a little bit more go with the flow, almost more sustainable in your approach to running just because of the, the type of races that, that you like to run? Yeah, I definitely am a perfect, uh, recovering perfectionist. And I think that ultra running particularly like at the front of the pack does still attract a very type A person, but it is more self-select for folks who have a better problem solving and like flexible approach because unlike running around a climate controlled oval or unlike running an exactly 26.2 mile course and trying to hit exact pace splits, there is much more that the sport at its highest levels even demands much more flexibility and much more ability to um, respond to a changing reality like the day of. Um, so I do think that it, you know, if you are an excessively rigid person who is over attached to like the data coming out of your watch, like, yeah, you're probably not going to thrive in ultra running because if slowing down to like hike up a hill bugs you, then um there's going to be some courses that just are not going to speak to that part that are going to really, really challenge that part of your nature. So I think with a lot of the folks that I know and that I work with at the front of the pack, like I think we still over index on perfectionism and a desire to control, but I do think there is a lot more curiosity in that realm as well around letting things go. And I do think that that's one of the beautiful things about trail and ultra running particularly is that it kind of forces a lot of folks into that sort of growth edge of letting go of things of, but, but like still like, but not letting go so much that you like totally let off the gas and disengage from competition. You have to find that flexibility. And I think that's actually really hard for a lot of people to stay competitively engaged, but have to make that decision based on how you feel in your body rather than what the splits on your watch say. Yeah. I'm also a recovering perfectionist, uh, just because of my background as a track athlete. And so, you know, I'm used to looking at my watch every 100 meters on a track <laughs> to judge how even my splits are. Oh, you weren't one of those. Tina. I was one of those, Tina. <laughs> uh, but you know, it did get me really good at pacing. I, I, for a period of my running career, I was just amazing at pacing, but now that I'm living in Colorado, I'm doing a lot more trail running. I have had to set aside that side of me so many times and I, I have chafed against it. It has been uncomfortable, but I feel like it has been a wonderful growth opportunity for me because I do feel like that mindset, while it's really good at helping you get good at pacing is probably good at helping you nail your workouts. I do think in the long term, it's probably not beneficial for, you know, your, your mental health and your uh, your longevity in the sport, because it just adds a lot of anxiety. And I felt like I was, you know, freaking out going into the mountains, trying to do these runs. And I was try hiking up hills and that was really bugging me. And, you know, my, my paces were all over the place. You know, if I was averaging a nine minute pace in the mountains, it, it wasn't nine minute pace every mile. It was like, you know, you know, like you guys know one mile, seven minutes, the next mile's 15 minutes. And, you know, it's just all over the place. And I do think maybe a helpful strategy for injecting a little bit more sustainability into your training is to put yourself in positions where you can't over index on specificity. Maybe it's a trail run. Maybe it's a group run. Maybe it's running with a friend or two who might be a little bit slower than you where, you're not really worrying about the pace. You know, maybe this is a recovery run and that's completely okay. And I think that perspective uh, is really good for 
the overall sustainability of your mental health as a runner. Can I ask you a question, Jason? Yeah, of course. When you first started doing that, did you find it, because for me, and I think many of us who come from track and road, the fear is I don't want to roll my ankle or twist my knee in the trails. Did you struggle with that part at the beginning? Because I think that seems to be a barrier for a lot of people is I don't want to injure myself. No, that wasn't a problem for me. You know, I was fortunate to have run on cross country and even track teams for most of my high school and college career where we did a lot of our easy runs on trails. So I was very comfortable on trails, you know, of course, running trails in Massachusetts and Connecticut, where I went to high school and college are a little bit different than the trails you find (laughs) here in the front range. Um, You know, I don't don't think they're any less or more technical. Uh, They could be a little bit different. Uh, So I was never really worried about rolling my ankle. I've also never sprained my ankle at all or rolled it to such a degree where I had to stop my run. So, you know, maybe a little bit of this is I've been fortunate to not have that injury. So I don't have that fear, um, you know, kind of lying dormant in my brain, but uh, I'm I've always been a little bit more aggressive on trails, you know, like I don't really care that it's technical. I just want to bomb down that hill. I love to feel the wind in my hair on a beautiful, I don't have any hair anymore, but you know what I mean, (laughs) where I just love that feeling. And, um, I, I think that precluded me from, from worrying about, you know, my ankles or getting injured or, or even falling, you know, I'm good for probably two good falls a year and I'm okay with that. So then if I can ask one more follow-up for someone who listening who is afraid of rolling their ankle, is afraid of hurting themselves, falling over, like they might see trail runners fall over all over the place with these bloody faces and knees and stuff. As you're the you're the coach here. Well, I would say exposure therapy in this regard is probably <laughs> quite helpful. So mm. just getting in a lot of experience on the trails. Um, and then doing more of your slower runs on trails where you're not trying to run fast, you're not trying to put yourself in a position where you're trying to run at speed on something technical, you know, that's where things can typically go wrong. Uh, another scenario where things can typically go wrong is, you know, when you're really tired, you know, your nervous system is fatigued, you start, you know, not picking up your feet quite as much and you're shuffling. And next thing you know, you're tripping over things. So if someone is a little bit more wary of hurting themselves trail running, the thing I would say first is don't do anything difficult on the trails. Let's get some exposure on the trails. Let's do easy runs, short runs. Um, and the next thing I would say is just make sure that even if you are wearing trail shoes, if you're predisposed to this kind of an injury, it might be beneficial not to wear like the most supportive, rigid, heavy shoes, because you lose out on ground feel, you lose out on just being a little bit more nimble on your feet around some of that technicality. So I think just being more aware of how you're interacting with the ground, as well as not putting any pressure on yourself to run fast or very long on trails is what I think is two good strategies to start with. Thanks. I'll, I'll, I'll pass you back now. (laughs) What would you say Zoe for, for aspiring trail runner since you're almost exclusively a trail runner, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, 
<laughs> um, I yeah, would say make peace with the idea that you will fall and also make peace with the idea that you will fall and it will likely not be as bad as you think. Um, falling is inevitable. I would also say if you don't fall, you're probably not pushing yourself hard enough. I'd also say if you're falling all the time, maybe we need to do a little bit of core stability um, and some like proprioceptive work to rectify that as well. But I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I used to be a climber as as well. And like, I used to really be challenged around lead climbing and I would have to like go to the rock gym and like practice taking falls on lead because I just needed to develop some comfort around that. And the only way to get more comfortable is to do it. Do you need to go out and practice falling? No, you do not. I do not (laughs) recommend this, but I think that again, putting yourself in the circumstances where you can explore that fear in a way that feels a bit safe and controlled to you, um, is the only way to move through it. There's no like training hack or tip that I think will, uh, remove that fear or remove that risk from trail running. And I think to remove the risk or the fear from trail running would be to neuter it in a way that would make it less compelling to all of us. Yeah, hundred percent. It's probably sacrilege too, that I didn't mention any kind of core work or strength <laughs> training or stability given my, <laughs> my brand here. Revoked. Yes. <laughs> but I, I think that's a valuable point too. Um, you're probably going to rebound from a fall or even a rolled ankle better if you are a little bit stronger, have a little bit more coordination and proprioception and all those, those really great athletic skills. Um, let's get back a little bit more to sustainability. Um, Zoe, I want to ask you maybe a provocative question. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to ask you specifically, is there any tension between long-term running, being able to run, you know, well into what I'll call old age and, also what I'll call extreme expressions of our sport. So in other words, can you run for a lifetime if your thing is running 100 mile races? And and I know that is something that, that you do, that you love to do. So how do you kind of balance that in your mind? Because it's definitely something that is, is I think extreme, something that a lot of folks is like, oh, I could never do that. Um, and, and maybe isn't the best thing for your body in the long term. I'm just curious how you think about that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. A, I love being provoked. Thank you so much for this question. And B, there definitely is tension there. And that's something I am trying to figure out in my own in of one way. And I would also love to see more like explicit studies of down the road, particularly on female identifying athletes, because we know that um, female identifying athletes recover from these longer events in ways that are pretty different than, than you know, male runners with test with a higher levels of testosterone. Um, I know for myself as someone that loves and is passionate about the hundred mile distance, I have to be very discerning. And again, make sure that my goals really are aligned with the realities of my life and with my values so that mentally and emotionally I can sustain the effort it takes to, um, give them my best effort, knowing that no outcome is ever, um, guaranteed, even if you execute training to the best of your ability. And I think that's what excites me about the distance. I will say that also, if you are unconvinced that running a hundred miles is hard on your body, doing it will sure convince you because goodness gracious, (laughs) I struggle with like, I, I feel like mentally, emotionally, and cognitively, it really kind of takes me on a bit of a roller coaster ride. And I have to be so, so conscious that not only do I really take time to let my body heal, but I also really like am a extra attentive to my mental health from like the amount of focus that it requires from the amount of just like hormonal swings that like will impact my, um, 
my like, I find a lot of challenges around focus and just like mental, emotional regulation in the days after events, usually over like 12 hours, anywhere in the 20 hours, it's also quite a struggle. Um, and I think that again, like some folks physiology responds really differently. That's awesome. Um, but I think that, I think that there's always going to be a tension there. And I think that knowing that each of those events is like a very extreme, but also like tender experience for me makes me feel even more connected to it because I know it's a pinnacle experience. I know I can't go to that place very frequently in my lifetime. And I think that that makes me treat that experience and my, my body and my mind and my heart and legs and everything afterwards makes me um, treat it with much more affection and appreciation and gratitude because that's the only answer I really have for addressing that tension is just like kind of standing in awe of what I'm able to do and knowing that I'm not able to do it all the time. I think one of the things I'm learning from both of you is that, you know, uh, maybe the key to this whole big problem that we're talking about, this big question is intentionality. It's really being intentional about how we're training, the races that we're choosing, how we're going about you know, that whole thought process, how we're interacting with the rest of our community, the choices that we're making. And if, if we were just to step back, you know, you know, Tina, or uh, I'm sorry, Zoe, you were saying earlier about, you know, making decisions that align with your values. And I think that is such an intentional way of, of making these kinds of decisions. Um, and, and I think we can all learn from that, because if we can make more intentional decisions, uh, and really step back and just say, what do I really want to do? And then let's organize my running around those big goals, which I think almost by definition, the bigger the goal, the more long-term you have to think about that goal. So I think that's super valuable, really helpful for runners to wrap their heads around. Um, I, I do want to transition a little bit and talk more about uh, a sustainable running community. Uh, this is something that I think I, I'm getting more and more interested in and passionate about uh, as the years go by. But it's also something that I don't know much about. So maybe Tina, you can you can weigh in on this. You know, what does it mean to you to have a sustainable running community? Like, what does that actually look like? I definitely come to this from maybe a different perspective to some of your listeners, but maybe a similar perspective to many others of them in that my that elite part of my running career felt so selfish. Everything was about me, my goals, my this, I want to eat this food, I want to go here for my run. Um, and so for me, I was determined the second part of my life was going to be about giving back about community. Um and again, with what we've been talking about today, that longevity piece, if it is just about that, you are never going to last. And you're also missing out on so much more. And that's not to say there are some people, we wrote about some people uh, in the book who are those, you know, they've been doing it since they were 18. They're on like a, they're 70 years old now. They just got out there every day. They do the same five mile loop every day and they they don't inv interact with a community. They don't have a Strava. Like those people are kind of using running in a different way, more of a practice. But we, and, and we can obviously use it as practice too. But I think for most of us, um, it, we need something else beyond that. And um, it also helps with that connection to yourself and recognizing what you're doing as well as what others are doing. And community can be a very different world. It could be 
uh, an online community, maybe your strength running community, uh, you know, gathers and talks and have become friends amongst us themselves. Maybe um, your local running area has a, a run club or a run crew that's coming up and, and offering different groups to people. We have one here in St. Louis, a guy named Ricky Rock is is doing amazing work uh, bringing the uh, St. Louis, the, the city of St. Louis com- running community together. And I'm just in awe of what he is doing here. Um, maybe that means finding ways to support other people in the community who, um, haven't, who, who need extra help. So for me, I do a lot of guiding running uh, with visually impaired runners or runners with down syndrome, uh, that might mean volunteering. Maybe you've all, after all these races, um, seeing a different perspective. And then from now, from then on, every time you grab a cup from a volunteer, you say, thank you so much for being here because you suddenly recognize oh, wow, that's someone who's given up their time to hand me that cup of water and I shouldn't get angry at them if they're not holding it correctly and I missed, missed the cup. Um, so there's many different ways you could look at that and, and uh, the, the most obvious one is finding people in your area to run with, but I think each of those things helps to, to sustain us long-term um, and also levels up your running because it makes it, we have such a beautiful group of people in this community um, and many who, you know, don't quite feel like they're welcome, but there's plenty of groups that are now coming up to make that a reality. And that is another thing we talk about in the group is, is how to bring in those other people. But we all know runners are special. And that's part of what we love about writing this book was runners get stuff done. I think that's the name of one of our chapters, uh, because we do, we get things done. We are very determined, very stubborn, very passionate people. And so why wouldn't we want to tap in and get to know one another more? Zoe, is this answer any different for you? Because you're, you know, a, a elite level ultra marathoner, you're very, very good. Uh, is it difficult to engage with a broader running community? Because a lot of your training is, is either higher level. So a lot of people can't run with you, you know, they literally can't keep up with you or they can't run for as far as you. Like, how do you think about that? Cause it, it, it is this interesting scenario where the better you are as a runner, the more unrelatable you become to the broader running community. Yeah. I think again, Oh, love that tension there. But I will also say, um, you know, I tend to not always take community as literally I do the bulk of my training. I live in a small town. I do the bulk of my training, um, alone, though my best friends are runners and my partner is a runner. I actually really value that time with myself to introspect or catch up on podcasts. <laughs> and I tend to extend like how I connect my running with my value of community through um, like more community action and organizing. I do love going to group runs, but I'm also deeply passionate about helping the running industry become the community it wants to be by not just saying it values inclusion, by trying to actually be inclusive um, and by creating a space where folks are not just kind of like ambiently welcomed, but are um, equipped and empowered and deliberately recruited to join our world. And I think that it's more of an extent, like my organization and activism is probably the most like literal extension of my value of community. But I will also say that running has been a really powerful tool for me to especially connect with other women in my adult life. And that's something that can be challenging for a lot of folks um, to build those like really intimate and intense friendships as adults, particularly with 
um, sometimes other really driven women. Like when you're an ambitious person, you have a type A personality. Um, sometimes seeing those aspects of yourself and other people can be very grating and challenging. And I've been really, um, I've been really lucky to enjoy running as an amazing conduit for really authentic and long lasting relationships with, with other women specifically. But I'll also say that like, I'm typically not too afraid to slow down um, and figure out like what days are really beneficial for me to explicitly connect with other people. And then to also on the, on the flip side to not a apologize or feel bad when I really do need to prioritize that time for um, myself. And I think that having that like kind of solo time for my training helps me um, really think about how to use the other parts of my time and energy and effort to build the community that I also want to be able to experience the solace that I experience in my own running life. This makes me think about, you know, sort of our role, our collective role as as people who are just involved in the media side of the sport of running, you know, whether it's through podcasting or, or writing articles or, um, you know, creating videos to help runners, you know, there's a lot of things that we do um, that give us a bigger platform. Uh, and I'm just curious, you know, how can folks like us who are involved in this landscape foster more community in, in the sport? Like what are, what are some things that we can do that, that maybe we're not doing or that we could do better? Mm. I think that doing the long-term work of authentic relationship building and continuing to seek out and adequately compensate folks of diverse backgrounds to do this work. I think that, you know, a lot of really well-meaning white people doing their best is only going to get us so far. And we need to really directly build a world where folks of different backgrounds are also doing this work and trusting that that work will be better in that specific arena. And I've just been really excited to see how many other folks of different backgrounds have been given um, platforms. And I think that my best advice would be to never, anytime someone is trying to sell you this like zero sum game sort of narrative around media attention, they're lying, they're trying to sell you something. Um, we should be growing the pie for everyone. There are There is plenty of resources in this industry particularly to go around. And the more people we invite in and the more people that we lift up and allow to lift others up, the better off we all will be. I love it. I love it. Guys, this was really interesting. And um, I can't wait to to read more of your book, Becoming a Sustainable Runner, because I think it's just very unique. It fills uh, a hole in the running book market that I think needed to be filled. And I think it's going to really open up a lot of runners' eyes at ways in which they can not only improve their running, but improve the small running community that they might have around them and improve their relationship to uh, the environment along the way. And we didn't even really scratch the surface of, you know, a lot of these issues. So I, I really hope folks uh, check out the book. Um, you know, where can folks find the book, learn more about both of your work, you know, give us, give us the, the, the good plug right here. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've made it nice and easy. You can go to becoming a sustainable runner.com and you can find links there to all your favorite retailers. Um, it is available Amazon worldwide. 
um, as well as the major retailers in, uh, well, I can't say every country, I can't speak to every single country in the world, but um, I would imagine where most of your listeners are from, you know, the, the US, the UK, Europe, Canada, Australia, you can definitely access it in, in all those places. Um, and uh, and then, so that's the easiest way to go find the book, make sure you, you get yourself a copy. Um, and then I'll say my social media and Zoe, I'll let Zoe share her own. Um, uh, I host the Running For Real podcast. You can find me at Tina Muir, M-U-I-R-8-8 um, on Instagram. And uh, my website is runningforreal.com. Yeah. Um, buy the book, support your local independent bookseller. Um, also available in Tina's gorgeous British voice at Audible. Um, <laughs> I'm Zoe Rome. You can find my work on Trail Runner, Women's Running, and Outside Magazine. And you can find me online on Instagram at carrot underscore flowers underscore z i'm so glad that you mentioned that tina you read the book for the audible version of this because i i didn't say anything earlier but just hearing you say the word composting was fantastic for me you said it and it's such a wonderful british accent Mm. and if i had to listen to an audible book i would want someone with your accent reading it and i think that's just amazing well, thank you. It's like ASMR for enviro nerds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, love I it. say composting. How you'd say composting, composting, <laughs> composting. That's what you'd say, right? Composting. Sounds, yeah, that sounds like my Arkansas accent for sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't I'm not sure what I say. Composting. Composting. So it's a long O for the second mm. O, where mm. I think you might have a short O. Composting, yeah. Just fantastic. Well, this this is this is the weirdest way to end a, an episode of the podcast, but nevertheless, I'm glad we did it. Um, Zoe and Tina, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for all the work that you're doing to help the running community, and uh, thank you so much for this book. It's it's a wonderful addition to the running book marketplace. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jason. And that's our show. Thank you for listening, and if you'd like to pay it forward, please rate and review the show, share it with your running friends or club, or you can invest in a training program for yourself at strengthrunning.com coaching. You can also support the show by supporting our sponsors. By using their links and discount codes, you're not only going to support the Strength Running Podcast, but you're going to indicate to these sponsors that they should continue sponsoring the show. First, get yourself 15% off your first purchase at Prevenex.com with code Jason15. If you've been listening to this podcast this year, you've heard me talk about Joint Health Plus from Prevenex and how it's directly impacted the health of so many of our listeners. Their CEO keeps forwarding me testimonials and it just works. So definitely keep those coming. Let me share two with you that David, the CEO, just sent me. I share these with you to show you that Joint Health Plus actually works, and we'll go into some of the reasons why. First, a listener named Kim wrote, my ankle and knee pain was completely gone in a week. Amazing. Wow, simple, effective, to the point, I love it. And Anna, who wrote, I thought I was on the verge of having to give up running due to severe hip pain, and luckily discovered Prevenex, a complete game changer for me. Wow. So Joint Health Plus is so powerful because the main active ingredient used in the product is clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in just 7 to 10 days, which is why you see a lot of these testimonials talk about experiencing benefits within about a week. 
It's also clinically proven, not just tested, but actually proven in double-blinded, placebo-controlled studies to protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise. You can get 15% off your first Prevenex purchase by using code JASON15 at checkout. Visit Prevenex.com, that's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com. And I'll note one last thing. Prevenex offers a 30-day money-back guarantee where if you don't feel the benefits on whatever product you end up buying, you can get your money back, no questions asked. And by the way, keep sending in those testimonials. They really fire me up to hear that it's saving you from all this pain and injury. Next is one of my favorite strength and performance tools, the Mobo Board. Go to MoboBoard.com and use code STRENGTHRUN10 to save 10% on your board. The Mobo was invented by renowned physical therapist Jay DeSherry, who I actually spent some time with this past May. I took his physical therapy workshop, Refining the Running Rehab Journey, which is all about treating injuries, preventing injuries, and helping runners move better so they can focus on performance. I think there were 31 people in attendance, one chiropractor, one running coach, that was me, and then 29 physical therapists. So I was a little bit out of my element, (laughs) but I really enjoyed learning more about these topics. And the MOBO board plays a big part in all of these goals because it helps you stabilize your stance with an innovative rocker board that's set up on these two fins. There's a hole where your four little toes are supposed to be, which effectively forces you to drive your big toe into the board to improve your stability. This is very innovative. There's no other board just like this, and that's what makes it work so effectively. And if you want to hear more, you can hear Jay and I discuss stability training in episode 275 of the podcast. Now, I mentioned this before, but when I first tried my MOBO board, I was pretty arrogant about how I was going to do How hard can it be to balance, right? Well, I was humbled pretty quickly. Even if you're a good runner, better balance, stability, and proprioception are all going to help you have a more powerful stride and make you more resilient to running injuries. You'll learn how to improve the efficiency of the kinetic chain from your hip all the way down to your big toe. Because if you can't stabilize your leg with your big toe driving down into the ground, you don't have a stable stance and your race times are going to be slower And more importantly, your injury risk is going to be substantially higher. Because as Jay likes to say, it's not just how strong you are, but how well you use that strength. Thankfully, the MOBO board is relatively affordable, and you can also save a further 10% with code STRENGTHRUN10 at MOBOBOARD.com. Again, that's code STRENGTHRUN10 at MOBOBOARD.com. Okay, that's our show, my friends. Thank you for supporting our sponsors, for leaving your reviews, or investing in a training program at strengthrunning.com. I'm always available to help you with a question, so don't ever hesitate to reach out to me. You can find me on the Strength Running site, or you can message me on Instagram at JasonFitz1. We'll be in touch. 